0: just quickly before we get started if you don't have time to review your own construction contracts that you're about to sign or you don't have the expertise obviously you're an expert in some other area maybe not in contracts please go to quantumcontractsolutions.com book in a call with our team and we will show you how we can help you sign a better contract that has way less risk and ultimately set you up to make more profit on your construction uh, contracts and stay in business over the long term go to quantumcontractsolutions.com and we'll see you there. So today we got an interview with Martin Priest from the Building Talks podcast. And in it, it's it's a two-part one. We go part one, we're going to talk about the vicious and virtuous cycles in construction, why penny punching doesn't work, how the most successful Construction companies run their businesses, and at the end, we're going to talk to how you can effectively communicate, with is general contractor, main contractor, tier one contractor, to have a better relationship. Enjoy.
1: So, what got you into construction? Um,
0: I'm just just thinking back at it now. I, I, very, very early on, I you know wanted to make some money. <laughs> um, I think. I remember my parents saying, you know, we used to do this annual holiday every single year and my parents said, well, you know, we'll pay for the holiday, but you got to pay for, you know, if you want to have any fun on that holiday, you need to have your own (laughs) spending money. So at the time, like, you know, I think I couldn't work, I was 12 or 13 or something. And so they were able to get me a job on a building site as a brickies laborer. So, That's kind of where it all started. Um, construction is in my in my family. My granddad was a was a general contractor, and you know when actually when he died, there was a you know the the headline said the man who built Galway. Uh, yeah, okay. Galway is a town in in the west of Ireland, and so yeah, I always had a passion for construction. Uh, I always wanted to get into construction. I didn't know whereabouts and how to approach you know getting into it the advice given to me was to go client side um and mm. so i went and uh, got a degree in construction economics and management and later a masters in engineering to kind of really understand and uh, from the client's perspective and then it kind of got into 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 contracts so yeah my passion in life really is construction and probably specifically uh, the contract side of construction and Over my career being on the client side, I eventually, honestly, I got to the stage where I was seeing so many companies losing money and going out of business because they didn't understand the contract, didn't understand how to play the game of contracts, Mm. that I eventually thought to myself, hey, my granda's not going to be particularly happy with me because it was me. It was me rejecting invoices, me saying no to approving extensions of time and change orders and that sort of stuff that I was like, hmm, I've actually got, I know how the insides of these companies work because I've worked the size of them. I can help subcontractors or contractors navigate them because so, so often, the, you know, these guys are just shooting themselves in the foot because they just didn't understand how to really, how to play the game. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, what, um, so within the the, the contract setting, and, and, and then you were saying that you were you were in that position where you were rejecting uh, information that's coming up from subcontractors. When you're in that position within an employer, are they telling you why you need to reject it or why you kind of need to push back a little bit with the contractors? Or is it just a like a cultural thing that that's the expectation? Yeah,
0: sometimes they will tell you what you've not done. Uh, but I think the main thing that subcontractors don't really realize is that on the on the client side, when you submit something in the door to whoever you're dealing with, that person has to take whatever you've submitted, turn around internally, and present it maybe to a contracts committee, present it to the director to say, "Hey, this 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 change or this uh, delay is because of this," and you know they put forward these costs, and um, you know I think we should approve it. And so if you if you give him terrible Information. if you've not complied with the contract and he has to turn around and try present that on your behalf internally, mm. well, one, he's probably not going to do it Yeah. in the first place. He's just going to reject it outright before he even gets a chance to do it. Um, and two, you're just making it very, very hard for him. Um, and so because so many subcontractors really concentrate on just, just doing a, a good job on site and they kind of just let the contractual stuff kind of fall where it may, or they they get their project managers to do the contractual stuff as a bit of a side hustle to their day job, the actual getting paid, and it is the getting paid part of construction, is that it's not, you know, they're, they're not getting paid. They're not getting paid on time They end up financing. A lot of the project for the contractor because they've, they've paid for the work and they're not getting paid for the work for a long 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 period of time which you know works from a cash flow perspective very very nicely for the main contractor general contractor and then it's putting you know it's very bad for you as as a subcontractor
1: yeah yeah and at what stage in your career did you kind of identify that um yeah that was something that you were aware of and i suppose morally certainly back to your grandfather's the inspiration of getting into the industry when did you kind of make that connection and think, mm, I need to maybe help the subcontractor or the organizations in the subcontractor setting as opposed to um, battling with them uh, from your position in the, in the process?
0: There's a couple of things actually. So uh, I guess my two my two passions really are construction and, and also running, running a business, right? So I, mm-hmm. I really enjoy both of those things. And so they both really conversed at one time, so I was working as a director in a kind of a large costs and contract management consultancy, and the first from the the contractual side of it, it, it was I was getting you know just seeing so many people losing money and going out of business just time and time again, um, and it was just that was becoming an, like an issue. Like these guys are, you know a lot more often than not they started a business they grew it got really really big and then they just go on to one project where it goes bad and they're out of business immediately and it's like oh god you just see it and it's just it really started to resonate it was just like no almost not fair like in the way i look at construction now is the subcontractors in the contractual chain are the only guys that actually do any construction (laughs)
1: yeah
0: right because the principle Pay, like he wants the thing built, so he's he's paying for it. Then the main contractor doesn't do anything, right? Not that he doesn't do anything; he wins the work, yeah. but he subcontracts all, all the work. So the subcontractors are the only they're like the bees of the industry. Sometimes <laughs> I like to say they're only like you know if these guys start going missing and and getting uh, then all of a sudden no one there's going to be no construction taking place at all because yeah. there's there's no one to do the construction. And so that was the, the that was like a catalyst. I think I was working in Iraq at one stage and another contractor had gone out of business. And I was just like, damn, like what is going on here? And so the second thing was, I was working for this consultancy, and as you make your way through the ranks, um, and I started to read business books and getting really into, you know, you know how to run like really successful businesses and just kind of went down that that avenue, something i really really enjoyed and then so it got promoted within that and then you're sitting at these management tables and i'm like okay let's check and all they wanted to talk about was getting into a company landing and expanding right we're going to get one guy in and we're going to pay him a day rate and then we're going to grow the team and grow and grow and grow and grow and so i meant from a consultancy point of view um i was like okay well when are we going to talk about like doing a good job for them. Like, how can we? Mm-hmm. How can we achieve better outcomes for them? How can we, whatever? And it's just that wasn't the talk at the table. And so you could see that even if a subcontractor or a, a smaller construction company wanted this help that they needed, then you know pay, they're gonna pay through the roof, and it's, it's almost not gonna be worth worth their while. Yeah. And so co- combining both of those things, I ended up creating a system that was you know, using new technology that we have now, and this is kind of pre-COVID days, so it wasn't, you know, Zoom and stuff wasn't as, uh, as prevalent as it is. And connecting people, it was able to allow the subcontractors to get access to that top level advice and help. Also using um, a bit of uh, like, you know, processes and systems, a little bit of AI now we're bringing into it as well, to be able to access that top level advice, which they can then implement into their businesses. And then ultimately, get a really good outcome. So they get signed better construction contracts. Their cash flow is is substantially better. And ultimately, their margin is better, which is 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 the end game at the end of the day.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, you've worked overseas. Um, you've worked here in Australia. Is this kind of behavior from uh, client representatives or head contractors prevalent all across the world that you've seen or unique in Australia, unique in the Middle East, unique? Back in uh, Ireland? We work in the U.S. as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and even in Australia, a lot of the U.S. companies were here. And it's, I, I, it's almost those guys brought it in, right? Mm. And it, it, is, it, is, it is everywhere. That is just the way it is now. And mm-hmm. over the last 10 to 15 years, while relationships are important, they have become decreasingly important. Mm -hmm. And the contracts have gotten more and more aggressive. And I I don't really know the reason why, but I would suggest at some stage a PwC and Ernest and Young or a Bain or McKinsey came into big construction companies. And as people are corporatizing and and governance was becoming more of a thing, they decided, well, we're going to push risk down. Mm -hmm. And that just became the norm. Contracts became more aggressive. You don't see a lot of uh, construction companies think, oh, I, I sign a standard contract. Whether it be an AIA in America or uh, Australian standards in Australia or or whatever happens to be they think they're signing a, a, a standard contract but it's an amended standard contract mm. it's not the standard it's been amended and now it's now it's essentially hostile so it just looks like what you you think and you're able to understand it because it looks like what you're used to but they've changed it and yeah. so that is a big thing at the moment
1: yeah okay um and and what are cut some of the within your current sort of client base then so what are what are some of the hostile items within that 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 potentially head contractors or principals should remove from that one or subcontractors need to be more aware of to protect themselves
0: consequential damages is a big one so to give it your an idea to um your listeners consequential damages is essentially if you're if you're asked to build a hotel and you're late as a as a subcontractor or a contractor you will be hit with what's called liquidated damages. Okay, liquidated damages is to reimburse the client for you being late on the construction project and the cost of that. So because you're late, you've delayed other contractors and so they need to be paid. And you know, so the, the client has experienced a, a cost delay because of your delay. And So that's a, yeah. that, that cost is to reimburse them for that. Consequential damages is to reimburse them for not being able to rent out the hotel rooms.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: And so that's loss of profit. Now, loss of profit, depending on how big the company you're dealing with is, could be the size of your company. Yeah. Could wipe you out in one foul swoop. So, consequential damage is a very dangerous one. Termination is a very, very dangerous one where you don't understand. Sorry, it will be silent on how you can terminate the client, but it'll have loads of different ways and terminate you. And so if you don't get paid, you might necessarily be able to get out of the contract within the confines of the contract itself. And so you could find yourself in a situation where you're working and working, and you're not getting paid, you're not sure if you're going to get paid for the following month. And at the moment, in the current environment with um, tier one's main contractors, general contractors, they're going out of business right now. You can just Google it. There's, go- there's, there's examples of it left, right and center. And that's because they are really finance companies. Because they win work from the client and they, they subcontract that at the work, they get a loan to finance it in the meantime and they make a profit on the, the delta, essentially. And so now the cost of, of debt is so much higher, um, the materials are so much higher, inflation is like all, all of that stuff is compounding, and these guys are not doing well and they're going out of business. And because of that, it impacts the subcontractors. So if they're going out of business, they're not paying you. And so you could find yourself in a tricky situation very, very quickly.
1: Yeah, and I think that's very true from both sides, from being the head contractor hitting financial problems and not paying subbies, but also and I know speaking to a lot of head contractors that one of their big fears is one of their major subcontractors going belly up and then them having to reprice that, find somebody to do it. Obviously, there's costs are inflated, again, on the margin of the replacement subcontractor. Um hundred percent. Like, what would you like to see more broadly i suppose than contract- contractors what, obviously risk is being pushed down from let's say the developer to the head contractor down to the subcontractor what kind of mindset or overarching kind of behavioral principles do you think would work for the benefit of all stakeholders within that delivery um delivery um cycle
0: so, well, I think this definitely is changing right now. And you even said it yourself, the head contractors are worried worried about that particular thing. And it used to be lowest price technically qualified and probably still mm. is a lot of the way it's lowest price technically qualified. So they're trying to get the cheapest guy that's technically qualified. But now I think the head contractors are now looking at whoever they're trying to sub out the work to and to mm. see it's more about their balance sheet. Are they actually able to do, to do the work or not? And so if they're smart, and this is the, the you know, it really is the main contractors need to do this, right? But they need to, they need to start talking about and looking at total cost of ownership. Because the lowest price technically qualified doesn't mean you're going to have the, the lowest total cost of ownership, which is the lowest total cost essentially over the course of it. Mm. So if you just look a bit more big picture and see, well, okay, well, so all things considered. If I pay a little bit more now... Then I'm probably going to get, get a better outcome at the end of the day. And so there's this thing called the vicious, the, the vicious and virtuous cycle in business. And so if, if, if subcontractors or contracts are engaging in what's called a vicious cycle, if you're tendering with lower and lower and lower margins, right? Mm-hmm. Let's just play it out, Martin, right? So you're tendering with a lower margin, what's going to happen? You, you're going to get And excuse my friend, I guess I'm Irish, hopefully, uh, you're going to get shitter people. You just are, right? Because you can't afford to get the good people, right? You can't afford to buy the good equipment, right? So what's that mean? The service is going to go down. Yeah. Obviously, right? And so the next project you come on, you've not made as much margin. And so... The next thing is going to happen to win the work, you're going to have a smaller margin and then it just you have this vicious cycle where your reputation goes downhill, it's not as good, all that sort of bam, 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 all the way down. Okay. So that's what happens so many construction companies right now. Yeah. Whereas if you've got a reasonable margin, you can afford better people. You, if you can afford better people and um, you can afford better equipment, you're going to do a better job. You're, because you've done a better job, your reputation is going to increase. And guess what? You can probably charge more money because your reputation has increased. Mm-hmm. So the head contractors need to understand um, that you know, like if you're penny pinching at the front end, it's going to hurt you eventually. If you're yeah. paying guys a reasonable amount of, of margin, they're going to deliver a better project for you. And then maybe create relationships over time where people that know can do a good job. That 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 is a better way for me to do business because you're going to be paying them a little bit more money, but it's going to cost you a lot less over time because you're going yeah. to get your outcome that you want. And so I I really think that the head contractors are, are definitely starting to shift where they're, they're looking at a, a, a subcontractor and saying, can you actually deliver the project for me rather than, can you give me the lowest price?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and do you think that that change of attitude is being driven by the current market that we're seeing, where there are subbies going bust, there are head contractors going bust, and everybody's got that yes. sort of impending cliff edge, thinking, oh well, we don't want to fall off that, so let's maybe work together as a bit more collaboratively <laughs> before we all go over the edge. Uh- Exactly, 100%. I, I think that there's still a bit of
0: like everyone looking after themselves, protecting themselves. And um, so that, that is a, a thing as well. But I think there is a shift. And I think also subcontractors, you know, there's so much help out there right now for, for subcontractors uh, in that, you know, really, you know, you, you've got to so – if you're a subcontractor it just is, is a big – is a, is, a, is a genius with many hands – Right? He's just one guy. He's grown his business and, and that's it. Well, then, you, you, like, construction is a business. It's not just mm-hmm. constructing. Constructing is an element of a business. Mm-hmm. And so, if we can shift to say you run a business, so if you're running a business, maybe we can get better offers. Maybe we can get better cash flow. How can we structure your offer differently to get you a better outcome? So, for example, you could say to a client, you could submit an alternative bid to say, hey, you pay us X amount upfront. Will knock five percent off the cost. Yeah. Okay. And so, what does that do? That means one, you can pay for all of this equipment that your uh, or or long lead items or getting people upfront. Your cash flow is going to be much better. Um, maybe you don't have to get this loan or line of credit. So if that, if that's a whatever the percentage is on that, maybe you're making your 5% back immediately or very close to it. And mm-hmm. if you're good in the post-award phase, if you're able to deliver a better job, you should be because you, you got more cash flow. You're able to be more responsive. Then in the post-award phase, you're probably going to get more work from them. So you're going to easily make your 5% back straight away. So yeah. if if people can be a bit more savvy, uh, contractually, a bit more savvy commercially. Understand that the business of construction is is like any other business. You've got you've got your marketing, you've got your sales, you've got your delivery. So delivery is the construction element, mm-hmm. and then you have your operations, right? So you need to be able to have all four of those things swinging. It's not just building things and supplying things. That is yeah. that is only an element of it.
1: Yeah, it's interesting though because when you say that, it makes perfect sense. Any organisation, be it recruitment, subcontracting. Uh, reviewing contracts and contracts, whatever it might be, it is a business. But I think when you speak to uh, anybody in construction, particularly head contractors, subcontractors, they'll always say, This is construction, mate. Like it's, um, which it obviously is, but it kind of fails in that sort of description. It fails to note the business, the operation, as you say, the marketing side of things. And I think, I mean, my experience when I've dealt with subcontractors is, is often that. The client or the employer that you're dealing with or the person that runs that business was often commencing their career as well whatever it be a chippy or a plumber mm-hmm. or a or the, the formwork and um, whatever it might be and that's what they've then gone into and often they leave behind the experiences that you might gain from you know a university qualification and then going into more of an operational type of role um mm-hmm. is that something that you, you commonly see in and as an opportunity for the business owners within the subcontracting space to maybe upskill themselves around business, contracts, even marketing and, and other elements. Yeah, uh, 100%.
0: Okay, so we'll get back to the pod in two seconds and so if you're getting some value from this or you're enjoying it and you think there's other people in the construction industry that would also please just use your thumb share it with them on whatsapp or whatever uh, way that you share these type of things facebook whatever it happens to be uh, it makes a huge difference to the podcast it allows us to grow and impact more people and really really appreciate it thanks the subcontractors uh, and a lot of these guys are a little bit hard on themselves, but they are, because typically they might, ha, mightn't have come from a kind of a traditionally qualified university background. They'll have come from, you know, they, they'll, they'll have become a, a, a tradie of some kind and they'll have grown this business. Now, the thing is they are actually very commercially savvy because mm-hmm. there's no way you grow your business that big without being commercially savvy. You just don't, right? So a lot of these guys are actually like really fantastic at at what they do to get to the point that they're at. And so it's about just taking that ball and and rolling with it and, and growing the business and understanding that it's not just about like, it's one element to deliver a great product. That's one part of the business, but you, the the marketing, the sales, uh, stimulating referrals. So like of the job that we have now, how do we create a relationship with, that the the main contractor or or even the owner, right? If we had, could, could we get directly in with the owner and create a relationship there, um, and try and get referrals, try and get repeated work? They're the things that the owner should be concentrating on developing those strategies, because again, we got the vicious cycle and we got the virtuous cycle of of tendering, like the, I discussed previously. If you're going directly and you're creating relationships with these people and you're getting referrals and you're getting petered work, well, then you're not tendering. They're coming to you directly. You've already negotiated maybe a framework agreement. And guess what? Your rates are gonna be better. Mm. It's you're not gonna have the cost of winning work. So the co- it costs you a lot of money to tender. You don't have that cost, right? So your costs go down, your rates go up, you're able to deliver, you get into this virtuous cycle where you got more margin, you can get better people, better equipment deliver a better service better outcome and so the thing i'd like um, people who are listening to this is if you actually uh, from we've got you know as, as of as actually as of last week we got a 100 clients on the books right now which was a bit of a milestone for us which is pretty cool but if we look at our clients over the last 5 years the most successful ones tend to be family run businesses like full family businesses yeah and they also tend to have been around 20 30 years Yeah. Okay, so why why are they the biggest? Right. One is probably the correlation of they've been around the longest amount of time, so they've grown the amount of compounding over time. Yeah. So if we assume that staying in business for a long period of time is going to be gonna make you successful, I think that's a fair that's a fair assumption. You can stay in business for a long if you can play the game long enough, you're gonna grow big enough. Yeah. And so why like what sort of decisions do you have to make to stay in the game long enough and then they come back to the contract all of these guys negotiate their contracts really hard because they they are thinking hey i'm going to pass this down to my son i'm going to give this to to my daughter and so if i'm i'm not signing a risky contract because i'd rather not make the profit on this contract rather than something going very badly and us going out of business because i can't risk that and that's yeah. that little dip in what we're saying. So that that is more important. Like making an, a reasonable margin on a low risk job is better than making a high margin on a high risk job over time, yeah. right? So you might win on that one project. You might make it, something. It might go perfectly, and you might make a lot of profit on that job. But if you do that every single time, eventually, you know, you, you, you will. It, the, yeah, the bad it's thing having, will it's happen. Just a matter and of when. It, It's just a matter of when, right? So risk, risk is—you know—the perception of risk and risk is that 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 relationship is very important. Risk might be very high, and your perception of that risk might be low. Yeah, it doesn't matter that your perception is low; the risk is high, and so it's about getting the risk low. Yeah,
1: yeah. And what are the sort of typical risk factors in a job that a subcontractor should be considering? um going into that negotiation. Is it just the, con- the documentation, the information in the contract, or are there characteristics around hotel projects you touched upon or a large infrastructure project or a large apartment building or whatever the project might be? Is there inherent risk? Well, there is inherent risk in any project, but are there some projects that just the characteristics of it are likely to mean that bump that's going to come is likely to be on a project of, a, of this type of nature?
0: Yeah. So the, the, so what the, the subcontractors themselves will be able to understand is how difficult is us, is is it for us to, to achieve the outcome? And so they can say, oh, this is going to be a really tricky job. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that, that's one, but they might, that, I mean, that's okay to accept those jobs because that's a challenge that you're probably able to overcome. It's not, it's not necessarily the risk of delivering the thing, right? It's still, del- it's, what happens in the contract if I don't deliver the thing yeah for whatever reason right so the risk of the con- of d- of doing it is you know it's reasonable it's a it's a trickier job. Um but if I look at the contract, if I don't do it, the liquidated damages are really high, and you know there's all like uh, uh, they want me to take the risk on basically if there's a delay i'll take the cost of the delay if there's a document discrepancy it's my fault. all yeah. of those little things added on to it being a difficult project well then mate, that's a that's a that's a no right yeah whereas yeah. if it's a if it's a difficult project, but the terms of the contract are reasonable in that, you know, if, if, if something, if you're like, if there's a flood or if, you know, if you're in a uh, cyclone season and the cyclone happens that you're, you're compensated for that thing happening, But then that's then fine. You can still go ahead and, and do the job, but get paid for it because of, you know, the way the contract is written. Does that make yeah. sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. What entices a subcontractor into a contract like that? Is it, is it the perceived opportunity in the margin that might come from it? Is it the perceived prestige from delivering that work for that client? Um, what What is the enticement into that contract? Or, or it could be that they're just oblivious to the potential downsides of the contract, or there's something yeah. that entices them into it. Is it a bit of both? Or in your experience, what do you see as the, the reasons subbies get caught into those contracts?
0: Well, I, probably two things. I'm just being real here. One is probably they don't understand the contract. They've decided that they decided in their own minds that oh, I can't negotiate contract. I just have to sign it as it is. It's kind of like signing up to Facebook. I just have to click the terms and conditions. I got to accept it regardless, <laughs> right? Yeah. And that's not that's that's just not the case. It just it, it, that's, that's not how it is. So so you know um, I do say this quite a lot, and it is true in construction. All of these subcontractors will be able to uh, get a get a drawing that has been put together by an architect or an engineer, and be able to go through that uh, drawing and interpret it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's a skill that they've developed. This other document, which is also part of construction, whether you like it or not, is is a legal document put together by a lawyer. You don't have to be a lawyer, but you still need to be able to interpret what's going on in that contract. Yeah, that's it. OK, so that's the first thing is, it's, uh, I guess, is they don't know. OK, uh, and so if anyone's listening to this now on our YouTube channel, if you, there's a, a construction secrets, you go to playlists, there's a playlist there that walks you through absolutely everything and um, watch that and you'll be pretty much covered. And so the other thing is, though, similar to you, Martin, with your business and me with my business. Depending on where you are in your business, sometimes you're you, they, they might be I need I, I have to take this job. And so maybe that's it as well. And so it's hard yeah. to say no, because you need it so badly. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Whereas if they're a bit, bit more mature, they don't need it. They have an acquisition system. They have ways of winning work. There's plenty of work coming in the door that they can say, "Ah, that's too risky. I'm not taking that." And so the best, ultimately, the best thing that the, the mo- is that you have options. If you have options, you are like you can negotiate anything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And do you find with your clients, uh, and congratulations on uh, 100 clients, that's uh, (laughs) both positive and probably could be a headache. Everyone loves clients, but uh, (laughs) everybody, (laughs) they've all got their challenges, I suppose it's fair to say. But um, in your experiences, does the the head contractor and, in fact, the, the developer or the principal, do they have a duty of responsibility to try and protect the subcontractor because it protects them in doing so do you believe it's a interesting question um did i have a duty
0: i mean i don't think it works out that way no i think everyone yeah. just looks after their own their own basket
1: yeah. yeah okay and then with that being the case so let's say a subcontractor is uh, they've been presented with a, a contract document which comes from the um from the the head contractor What would you recommend they do as regards, how do they communicate to that head contractor? Okay, right, thanks for the contract. I wanna review it. These are the items I wanna go through. Um, What steps should they take initially if they themselves are not comfortable, or they perhaps don't feel confident reviewing the contract? What what steps should they take to start gearing up to protect themselves, review that contract and, and, and get to the stage where they're ready to negotiate?
0: So, so again, it depends on how you're winning. If you have that referral relationship, repeated work relationship, then it's when they send you the contract. But more often than not, if people are bidding, it's at the bidding stage, you're going to be asked to put forward a te- technical clarifications or technical departures and also asked to put commercial departures or clarifications forward. Now, this is the game, whether you're playing the game or not. Doesn't matter. The game is happening. And the game is they are giving you their worst possible contract. They have Mm -hmm. backup clauses for every clause. They have, you know, this one and then they go down again and they they are willing to move. And particularly if and so the way to approach it is you want to ask for the least amount of things that is gonna reduce your risk the most. That's all you want to do. And stuff like you know, it's gotta make sense for your company. If you're a scaffolding company and someone asks you for a defects liability period, right? It's stupid. It doesn't make sense. So you can easily explain. Well, sorry. What What are you asking me to to have a de- like? Why do we have a defects liability period? When I'm finished, I take all my equipment away, right? Defects like so. You're going to hold my money for 12 months for essentially no reason. And so you explain mm-hmm. it like that. They're like, oh yeah, of course. That doesn't make sense. Okay. So, uh, so whatever makes sense in your company, you you'll have things that are really important to you. So another example: if you're steel. Steel. uh, If you're a supplier really of any kind, but if you're a steel fabrication company and you're supplying columns or or whatever, it's, it's really expensive. And so you can find yourself in a situation where you won't get paid for that particular thing until the steel is installed. And so you might get to site and you've taken out this big loan to get all of this steel and then you deliver it to site, ready to install it. And you can't install it for no fault of your own. The previous subcontractor hasn't done any of the pre-work. You don't have access to site. And the client will still won't pay you until the, it's installed. Because that's what the contract says. Yeah. And so now you're sitting on this big loan and you're losing money to you, no fault of your own. Okay? Mm-hmm. Stuff like that you need to be aware of what are your own risks in your own company so that stuff doesn't happen and it could save you thousands hundreds of thousands of dollars on the various different things. So you it's understanding how what is important for your for your company and making sure that you're negotiating only really on those things. The the way to do it badly and oftentimes lawyers like some like good lawyers don't do this, of course, but some some other lawyers will just rip through the contract, they'll change words for the sake of changing words, stuff that doesn't really matter. I mean, sure, like it's not ideal wording, but it actually doesn't have a tangible impact in the construction of the work uh, and risk. Mm-hmm. And so if you do like, then you're putting forward like 20, 25, 30 departures to the client and then the client's looking at half of the stuff that doesn't matter, it's not important, That's 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 how not to do it essentially
1: yeah and and so and when um a head contractor is presenting a contract to a subcontractor i guess what you're saying is in theory they they're ready and expecting a bit of negotiation on certain points if they're well versed yep. in what they're doing they're probably expecting it to be around certain points like in my terms of business i know i know the three areas people are going to push back on it'll be the fee itself it'll be the replacement period and it'll be the time after placement that they pay fee there's loads of other terms of in the terms of business but those are the three ones that clients really care about uh, and in fact yeah. recruiters really care about so um so, so so head contractors are expecting some kind of pushback or some kind of negotiation around those is what you're saying and, and not to be not to be intimidated by it ultimately yes so when it comes to do you have any specific advice obviously we haven't touched upon really the the principal contractor or the other the developer if you like on the job is there good practice that they could apply through the procurement of head contractors as regards how they're going to appoint subcontractors. Is there anything that they can do to, um, obviously they push risk away, but ultimately given that if a subcontractor goes belly up, it can cause a lot of cost blowouts for the developer. Is there items that they should be aware of in the contracts that are flowing through their project? That's an interesting question. That's not something I've considered before.
0: Uh, so that typically we, you know, I've concentrated at that subcontractor tier two level where most of the battles are fought. But uh, an initiative could be from the principle that's obliging the main contractor to use a standard for, a standard contract, an unamended standard contract. Whether they can do that or not, I don't know. But that that would be something that could be useful because it's fair and it will make the main contractor really concentrate on delivery rather than yeah. you know just tricky ways of moving money around, <laughs> essentially. Yeah, because yeah. um, I often think. So that, can you, um, Yeah. Yeah, are gone, sorry. Sorry, I interrupted you. I was just going to say, can you d- define the question again? I'm not, I'm not sure I answered it. Yeah, so
1: right. um, I'm just so, so in my line of work, obviously, I deal with developers, head contractors, and, and and less so subbies, but I do deal with them sometimes. But I know from speaking to developers that, well, different people have different mindsets towards it. Some developers will say, right, well, we want to appoint a head contractor that's not going to, in inverted commas, screw the subbies. Because if the subway goes belly up, ultimately mm-hmm. we're ended up paying for it because the replacement subby or whoever else is just gonna be a cost blowout for us. Um others just say, "Now nah, push it onto the head contractor, let them worry about that, that's their bag. Um but I'm wondering if in if we're aspiring to an industry, hopefully that's a you know a little bit fairer across a range of um, different items, but yeah, would a is it not good advice for a developer who ultimately have to protect their own costs? To instil something through the procurement um, of that project or within that project that protects them, but it obviously works to be fairer or slightly less hostile by way of contracts. Ultimately,
0: uh, that's a tricky one because you know you've got like it, you've got a main contractor for a reason in that they're, they're going to bring in processes and systems of uh subcontracting work and managing those subcontractors i mean that's their whole game that's their that's Mm. their offer is i will you know i'll manage this whole project for you that's that's all they do essentially Mm. and so if you're starting to stipulate more and more of these things it's almost i may as well do it myself yeah, I see. Yeah. at the principal level, and so it's kind of you know a little bit of i think i think it, it's worthwhile stipulating that you you prefer the use of standard contracts like we said before, or Mm -hmm. maybe you'd like the the tendering to be based on total cost of ownership and asking the tendering process to demonstrate a a total cost of ownership as opposed to looking for the lowest price technically qualified. Um, I think that that would be a more savvy way of of doing it because the developer Mm -hmm. at the end of the way or the, the principal, whatever he's trying to do, wants the end product.
1: Yeah.